Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this, this is the Sunday Sunday. In today's episode, we learn about the dire straits of UK biodiversity, a team of researchers are simulating life on the red planet, and a new COVID drug that could be a game changer against the virus. But first, it was on this day in 1888 that Thomas Edison filed a patent for the optical phonograph, the first movie projector. The UK's varied landscapes are home to many different birds and animals, but scientists say it's not what it was. The UK is actually one of the most nature-depleted countries in the world, with about half of its biodiversity left. It has just 53% of biodiversity, well below the global average of 75%, according to the Natural History Museum, putting the UK in the bottom 10% worldwide. Researchers say there's little room for nature in a country where so much of the land has been built upon or used for intensive agriculture. And this is bad news. With such extensive loss of biodiversity across the world, we risk an ecological recession. Speaking with Sky News, Dr Adriana De Palma, a biodiversity researcher from the Natural History Museum, explains. An ecological recession is where we've lost enough biodiversity for a system to be really susceptible to shocks. And that includes things like droughts and floods, where the system is going to struggle to recover from those shocks. But an ecological recession is also likely to lead to greater outbreaks of human diseases as well as pest outbreaks. And Adriana's colleague at the museum, Professor Andy Purvis, puts it simply... Biodiversity is more than something that's beautiful to look at and that we love. It's also what provides us with so many of our basic needs. It's the foundation of our society. We've seen recently how disruptive it can be when supply chains break down. Nature is at the base of our supply chains. Whilst the UK already has a number of nature reserves, replacing lost habitats needs to happen on a much larger scale. Andrew Gouldstone from the Rain and Marshes Nature Reserve in Essex spoke with ITV News. We can manage these nature reserves. We've seen nature recover here, but we need to do it across bigger landscapes. It can't just be on nature reserves. We need the whole countryside to be fit for nature to recover. This week, global leaders are meeting for the UN Biodiversity Conference where negotiators will lay out plans for protecting nature over the next 10 years. The team of researchers hope the data will help inform those decisions, though none of the targets for the previous decade were met. Scientists are saying this is the last good chance we have of a sustainable future. Without action, we could be heading for an ecological meltdown. Six. 
Have you ever wondered what it would be like to live on Mars? Well, in a southern Israeli desert, a team of six scientists have begun simulating exactly that. The red-huge Raymond crater will be home for about a month for the five men and one woman participating in the mission. Their habitat is tucked beneath a rocky step, and inside they sleep, eat and conduct experiments. Outside they wear mock spacesuits fitted with cameras, mics and breathing systems. Dr Gerno Gromer, the director of the Austrian Space Forum, is hopeful that this mission will help them better prepare for the challenges that could await them on the red planet. We have the motto of fail fast, fail cheap and have a steep learning curve because for every mistake we make here on Earth, we hopefully don't repeat it on Mars because we've done it before. The Austrian Association is collaborating with the Israeli Space Agency and a local research centre, DMARS, to carry out the mission. The six team members are constantly on camera and their vital signs monitored. The researchers will also track their movements within the habitat to analyse the preferred spots to congregate. 36-year-old Elon Tenza is on the simulation team and shared his thoughts with Reuters. We're six people working in tight space under a lot of pressure to do a lot of tasks. There are bound to be challenges, but I trust my crew that we're able to overcome those challenges. We learn how to work together, we train together, and we're very confident. Outside of the habitat, other engineers and specialists will work with the drone and rover to improve autonomous navigation and mapping on a world where GPS is not available. Still to come on the Sunday 7, there's hope for both sickle cell treatment and Australia's Great Barrier Reef. Thousands of patients in England are set to benefit from the first treatment for sickle cell disease for two decades. It's a disease that affects haemoglobin in the red blood cells. Whilst the healthy red cells are round and puck-shaped, cells in patients with sickle cell disease have a distinct crescent shape that affects how oxygen is carried around the body. It predominantly affects people of African and Caribbean backgrounds and those born with the condition can suffer from chronic pain, fatigue and even organ damage. The disease is incurable, but for the 15,000 people living with it in the UK, there's hope as a new drug is being recommended that could reduce the number of painful episodes patients experience. Channel 4's John Snow spoke to Dr Rachel Kessie-Adu, a consultant haematologist, about the new drug. I'm excited for the fact that in my clinic now I can speak to my patients about more than hydroxycarbamide. You know, I have a second option for those who can't take hydroxycarbamide. Even for those who can take it, I have a second option that's hopefully going to make their lives better and I'm celebrating that. Whilst it's exciting news, Rachel's sure to emphasise that this isn't a cure but a treatment that will hopefully help many. It is not a cure. It is a treatment, not a cure. So it's going to reduce the episodes of uh, sickle uh, pain episodes, but it's not going to abolish them. Uh, it's not going to take the condition away. Uh, people will still have pain episodes regardless of the therapy. But the whole point is, instead of having, you know, 10 crises um, in a year, you know, you'll be having six. And, mm. and for the patients who are suffering this pain, that, that will make an impact. You know, we sent, celebrated the centenary of sickle uh, in 2010 and we're only on our second therapy, um, second effective therapy for it. But I, I know from working in my clinic that we have a number of other drugs in clinical trials. We're approached by pharma companies who are working on um, lots of new agents. So th there's definitely work happening now and there, there is a sense, sense of urgency to get effective therapies into the clinic. The Great Barrier Reef. 
It's the largest coral reef system, the biggest living structure on the planet. Located off Australia's Queensland coast, the complex maze of habitats is home for a variety of marine life, plants and animals, from ancient sea turtles and 134 species of sharks and rays to 400 different types of corals and a plethora of seaweeds. But as we all know by now, that's all under threat from coral bleaching caused by climate change and the warming of oceans. A change in water temperature as little as 2 degrees Fahrenheit can cause coral bleaching, but now scientists are engineering clouds to make them brighter in an effort to protect the vulnerable corals. The idea of, of cloud brightening for the reef is that when clouds form, uh, they, they can form with different brightnesses, and this depends on how many tiny little particles there are in the atmosphere. Each droplet needs a little particle of cloud condensation nuclei to condense around. And over the ocean, sometimes uh, there's not very many. The air has very, very few. The researchers use a turbine to spray microscopic particles of seawater into the air to thicken existing clouds and reduce sunlight over the coral reef ecosystem. According to the project leader, Daniel Harrison from the National Marine Science Centre at Southern Cross University, the water droplets evaporate, leaving tiny salt crystals that travel into the atmosphere that allow water vapour to condense and form clouds. It's actually the light in the presence of the hot water that causes the coral to bleach. So by reducing just a, a small amount of light, about 6% or so of the average light over the summer, we can reduce about 50 to 60% of the bleaching stress on the corals. Now, as hopeful as this sounds, the technique also has its limits. Our modelling shows that very clearly. If we, if we don't have strong action on climate change, then, then cloud brightening can only help for a little while. Uh, eventually, the, the effect that you can get from the clouds, it's limited and it, it just becomes overwhelmed by climate change after a couple of decades. But if we do have really strong action on climate change, then the modelling shows that, that the cloud brightening is enough to, to stop the reef declining and to actually see it through this, this period while we reduce our carbon emissions. Still to come on the Sunday 7, how car tyres are helping Nigeria's waste problem and we celebrate the great British apple right after this. I'm broadcaster Katie Puckrick, poised and ready to help you prepare for the imminent arrival of Succession Season 3. There are no spoilers and no opinions, just a simple chronological walkthrough of events. Haven't got time to watch 20 hours worth before Season 3 kicks off? That's what I'm here for. Previously on Succession. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Three. A little red pill is now a potential part in the defence arsenal of COVID-19. If it's approved, molnupiravir would be the first antiviral pill for COVID. Five years ago, researchers at Georgia State and Emory University developed the original chemical compound while testing against flu. And when the pandemic hit last year, the scope of the research changed. We quickly um, redirected because we knew this drug has actually broad spectrum antiviral activity, so it was very potent against influenza virus. It also had activity against several other viruses. They tested the drug on ferrets infected with COVID-19, and research showed the drug prevented the infected treated animals from spreading the virus to untreated ones. Now the drug owned by Pharma Merck has shown to be effective in humans during phase three of clinical trials. It's something where we think if we can give it early in the course of the disease, it can really take it from being the devastating disease that COVID-19 is to something that's, that's manageable. And, and that's so important. And because it's a pill, uh, it's something that obviously is, it can be quite accessible uh, to the general population. So we're excited about this because I do think it can really change the way that people will think about COVID-19. The drug maker also says it halved hospitalization and death rates, results that are so encouraging it stopped its trial 
early to seek emergency FDA approval. And if that approval comes, it could be a real game-changer in the fight against COVID-19. The importance and the potential impact that such a drug could have, not only in the United States, but also in low- and middle-income countries, for an an effective and cost-effective oral therapeutic, I think all of this weighs in heavily that the drug will be approved. In Nigeria, a country heavily reliant on revenues from its oil exports, an entrepreneur has identified another type of black gold, used car tyres. Hundreds of thousands of used tyres that would otherwise be abandoned and dumped are now being reused. Entrepreneur Ifedolopo Rushi Wei created Freetown Waste Management Recycle, a company that collects, reworks and recycles old tyres into things like paving bricks for playgrounds, floor tiles and other goods that are in high demand in Africa's most populous nation. You know, creating something new from something that would otherwise be lying somewhere as waste as was part of the motivation, like what can we be doing from this in terms of upcycling or recycling, which is why we started out with tyres. And um, for uh, most people don't know that for, for your tyres, the entire component of a tyre is valuable in terms of the, the metal in the tyre, the fibre in the tyre. Waste management in Nigeria is known to be patchy. In some towns and cities, piles of rubbish are a common sight and residents often burn them at night for lack of a safer method of disposal. Tyres in particular are routinely dumped and abandoned. Tyres would ideally just lay waste. Um, you would find them in drainages, you just find them in the corner, stockpiled, nothing with nothing to do with them. But now we, ha- we are able to you know, create an entire value chain around the tyres. Though organisers know that if they get the tyres across to us, they're going to get paid. The waste management company relies on the work of collectors who source old tyres from dumping grounds. For each tyre, they're paid 100 naira, which is around 20p. The business in 2020, with just four employees, boomed so quickly that the workforce has already jumped to 128. So far, more than 100,000 tyres have been upcycled, but Rushi Waste still has big plans to solve Nigeria's waste problem. We do have a five-year growth plan, which includes um, expansion and diversification into all the um, types of waste, such as um, paper, pet bottles, electronic waste, amongst other things. The days are getting shorter, the mornings are a little bit crisper and the spiders have started invading your home once again. It's officially autumn. And you know what else that means? It's apple season. Homegrown apples will be hitting supermarket shelves this week and a new report from the Royal Agricultural University has revealed for the first time just how green our rosy red British apples are. The figures might just surprise you a bit. Here's Ali Kappa, a fruit farmer and executive chair of British Apples and Pears, to tell you a bit more. 83% of British apple and pear growers work with local beekeepers. 93% of growers are using biodiversity measures. They're planting grasses and wildflowers to encourage insects. They're creating beetle banks and bee hotels. 63% have got solar panels to generate renewable energy for the cold storage that allows us to bring apples out through the course of the year. Growers are planting hedges. Growers are planting 3.8 million new trees over the next five years. So buying homegrown British apples and pears not only involves 
far fewer food miles than imported fruits, but our growers are doing their bit for the environment too. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, but you, you were different. Like you were real different. Bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.